1: This is the Wesson Walker Show.
2: Even the crowd knows what's
1: coming next. Hit the drum line coming in on a Monday. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you spending the next three hours with us. You can text us. Feel free to share your thoughts and comments on the Garage Door Guru text line. Text us at 704-570-9610. A lot to get to here as we were just throwing out all sorts of ideas in the pre-show meeting. Wes had his ideas trying to fit all of the North Carolina Duke ideas in there as well as Super Bowl topics trying to figure out Charlotte Hornets trade deadline mandates what we're going to discuss coming up with the Charlotte Hornets trade deadline at February on February 9th so a lot to get to um especially with Carolina also hiring a defensive coordinator over the weekend yes zero yes. avero We've been pronouncing it wrong, but now we got it figured out. Ajero Avero,
2: Ajero Avero. Then Can't we... forget about the Kyrie
1: trade. Kyrie trade. How does that affect Charlotte? We'll discuss all of that, and uh, especially with, uh, again, that deadline coming at the 9th, and they've been linked in a ton of different rumors, so we're going to get to all of that. Joe Ovius is going to help us out. Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. He was at the Senior Bowl, and he has plenty of thoughts on the Senior Bowl. He'll share with us as it pertains to the Carolina Panthers, but we'll get off of the bus Discussing North Carolina falling to Duke, 63 to 57. Let's do it right now. Fitty, open the doors.
2: We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn.
1: So it was the first matchup we've seen between Duke and North Carolina after the Tar Heels, won in Cameron Indoor Stadium, denying Coach K a victory in his last ever game at his beloved home court, and then North Carolina beat Duke in the Final Four. It was the first matchup we have seen since then. Leading up to the contest, there was a lot of, is the rivalry dead conversation? How much is it going to mean to Duke if they win or lose? How much is it going to mean to North Carolina? Well, I want to go to right from the bat, right from the get-go, I should say, because Fiddy is someone that is a big old Tar Heel fan. And I could not get a real gauge on how you felt with all the rivalry is dead talk. I feel like I couldn't get... You would say, it's not, but then you would also say, like, I can always just go back to the Final Four contest where North Carolina would win. So where are you now, before and after? Were there any feelings that you were surprised by after North Carolina lost?
0: Um... First off, I never thought the rivalry was dead. Right. And I never was going to use that shot that happened last year as a cop-out. Because Saturday night, guess what, folks? I wanted to win as bad on Saturday as I did last April, as I wanted to win last March, last February. It's never going to change on my end. No matter where we play them, who's on the sidelines, whatever, I want to beat them. And so, um, you know, you got to tip your hat off to Duke. They played a really good defensive game when they got timely shots on offense and from a Tar Heel perspective just annoyed. It wasn't even real anger after the defeat. It was just more of an annoyance with the way this team has played and is playing because they shouldn't be playing like this given the fact you got a core four back from a team that was, as they told you, a rebound away from winning a national title.
2: What do you think, Wes? Well, what was funny was we broached the topic on Friday if the rivalry was dead and how people felt about it. And so I took my son to a uh, to his personal workout on Saturday morning, and his coach was telling me that he used to be a big Duke fan and all that stuff, and he said he wasn't into the game. He wasn't really excited about watching the game. He wasn't going to watch the game. He said that he had really only watched one Duke game all year and couldn't tell me they're starting five because Kay's not there. And I thought that was an interesting perspective because we had just talked about that and so I wondered how many people feel the way he felt and I do think there's a, a large amount of people who did but in my estimation like I said the game, it was a good game it came down to the end, a couple possessions here and there, but like always um, I thought it was a really good game but I think just too when you look at the recruiting of these two teams where they're at, Duke had the you know, one of the top classes last year, Carolina, not so much. But then this year, Carolina is already sitting there number two, according to 24-7. Duke is at nine. And so when you look at what's coming for these teams, I mean, it's going to get back to what it is. And and as I talked to his coach more about this, he agreed that the more, you know, these teams get up in the games really, really mean something as far as top ten matchups, et cetera, that it could get back to that. And I think one thing, too, I, I'll say finally, too, I, I think – one thing that hurt it this year, too, was the fact that Duke's freshman there isn't. Like, even though they have the top class or one of them, there's not that guy or guys that you watch watching. You're like, wow, there, there wasn't a lot of NBA star power in this matchup either. Well, and, and that's one of the things I
1: look at, too. When people discuss any chance of the rivalry being dead— to me, I think it all revolves around the amount of talent. Because yeah. think about it not being too long ago when you did have a star-studded roster for both of these programs with Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish. On the other side, you had Kobe White. You had Cam Johnson. Both guys were drafted inside the lottery selection process. And so that felt the peak as far as what kind of rivalry had been hit the last few years that is the, I think the ratio of peak to how close it was just only a few years ago and once you have that kind of talent back I think it will get back to you know some kind of meaningful and it still is extremely meaningful in my opinion and here's what Paolo Boncaro said right actually got to go to the game was in Charlotte for a Charlotte Hornets contest where the Orlando Magic would end up winning just happened yesterday but Paolo Boncaro said it 100 gives me closure. Just to see that team go down to us at home, How? it was good to see them dub in Cameron. Now, here's the thing. He's a coward. That's fine. But <laughs> the fact that he thinks this and the fact that you get so riled up over this, not not to anything that you don't admit, but it does go to show that there is going to be that hatred, which is a part of the rivalry, which even consciously or subconsciously makes it go all the way up, right? The fact that Paolo can say this and have that kind of effect on a Tar Heel fan, this ain't going nowhere, man. Yeah. Like, even with North Carolina winning in the Final Four, no doubt, Tar Heels have mad leverage even after this. There is no doubt about it because of the way they won twice in huge games last year. But to say it's dead, to say that it lost a ton of meaning, nah, man, that's not what happened here. And I think that is part of the process. And Fiddy's reaction serves a lot of North Carolina Tar Heel fans as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, i let him have the floor. He can, he can rank on Paolo real quick. Fiddy, did you have something to, to say about that?
0: I mean, it's just typical Duke behavior to relish in someone else's... Success amid your own failure, like Paulo Bencaro, You're <laughs> going to you be best was... <laughs> remembered for in your last game in Cameron, playing in front of 90-some-on former Duke players, and losing at home to North Carolina.
2: Did, did you know he was going there? Is that why you wanted to serve yeah, him? Yeah, I let him, him go ahead and yeah, yeah. I let him go ahead and get his rocks off. I think that um, I thought that was an interesting comment because I think Duke fans probably feel in a way like, okay, yeah, you beat us in the Final Four, but you didn't ice it off with a championship. Like you didn't you didn't put the cherry on top and win it all. So I think they felt like, yeah, it might have been a bad loss for retired to coach and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, there's still so many memories there. So many times they beat North Carolina in big spots as well that they probably felt like, and I think maybe that's where Palo's coming from a little bit like, yeah, we lost to them, but they didn't win the championship. I think it would have stung all the more if they would have been able to get that national championship.
1: Well, North Carolina, they do fall 63 to 57. Only 57 points scored. A really yeah, low man. scoring affair between both of these teams. 21 and,
2: points below his season average.
1: Whoo, one of the bigger topic, uh, one of the bigger conversation points after this contest was the lack of free throws for North Carolina. Armando Bacon only shot two free, of throw, attempts, uh, free throw attempts, made them both. Caleb Love went to the line, shot one time, missed his only free throw. Wes, that was it. Two of three. Two of three from the free throw line for North Carolina, a team that had been making a living by going to the charity stripe. Hubert Davis not too happy with that fact after the game.
2: The stat that I'm looking at is going into uh, the game. We had shot 150 more free throws than any other opponent in our conference. And we shot three. Zero in the second half. So that's what I'm looking at. Why do you think he didn't shoot any more free throws? You answer it. Yeah. He attacked the basket. <laughs> How much do you think Lively impacted? He did. Oh, he's a fantastic player. He's a and, and Duke is a fantastic defensive team. Uh, they pressure you. They do a great job with their quickness, moving their feet. Um, Derek is one of the best, if not the best. Even if he does, even if he doesn't block it his length and his athleticism um, uh, can alter it. We went to the free throw line three times and we shoot 150 more than any team in the conference.
1: Derek Lively had eight blocks in this game, and even if he's not scoring a whole lot, people are starting to change their opinion about Derek Lively, maybe not being number one overall, but certainly providing a much bigger impact the last month of basketball for this Duke team. Here's what I'll say, though. Man, is it not lame for these coaches to continue to criticize lack or you know too many free throws like i'm done with this man whether it's against north carolina or whether it's for north carolina i defended north carolina against nc state when state fans were out here saying oh they took too many it was ridiculous and i said look that's just how it went yeah like i'm tired of arguing about the amount of free throws and that's why north carolina won or that's why they got this advantage and you know what the same thing applies here i think it's lame for hubert davis to come out here and make it such a big storyline that the fact that they only went to the free throw line three times dude i'm not here for these coaches to continue to point to the charity strife and say, this is why we won or lost, man. Like, it's just so annoying to me why these coaches will complain you had your shots to win. It didn't happen. I'm not here to hear about all of this complaining, once again, about North Carolina not shooting free throws.
2: Yeah, I think that coaches, they really just want to come out outright, say you're cheating, but they won't say it because they don't want to come across that way. But their makes and attempts were the fewest for North Carolina in the ACC era. So, I mean, that was i can side with him a little bit on this as far as this was a historical night for them in a bad way from the free throw line but you're right about lively as far as the scoring may not be there over the last five games only averaging six points but he's averaging eight boards and five blocks now we haven't had a guy come into the acc putting up those type of shot blocking numbers in. I don't know when. Eight is ridiculous. Eight is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, and averaging five, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, over your last uh, five games, five per game, that that's impressive. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'll give him credit for that. You know what's really funny about your soliloquy there you just delivered, Walker? Yeah, what's that? Friday,
0: we established that you looked like a Duke player. Uh-huh. That answer was as much a Duke answer as you could ever give. Because also, didn't you start the show Friday out here, I mean, pleading for the LaMelo Ball to get foul calls? But then on the mm. flip side, you don't want to hear head coaches. Have you seen LaMelo get hit Did in the face? Did you see Pete Nance's arms get grabbed while he was trying to shoot the ball? Or, yeah, or were you not rules? watching this calls all up.
1: over the place. But if you want to compare LaMelo getting you too busy
0: watching Victor Webb Yama film. Okay, yeah. You can take it personal all you want. I know you're a I'm
1: little salty because boat. your team lost. Because
0: I still really
1: I care. Walking Fiddy on the argument. Well, yeah. Look at Fiddy, man. Noticed. Shaking his head. It's cool that you lost. And I get that. And I understand why you would be salty when you're talking about LaMelo ball getting hit in the face, get and you would to bring that to this conversation, there's a little bit of something different there. You're right. North Carolina had foul calls that didn't go their way. But I'm tired of Mac Brown, Hubert Davis, like, you got a couple North but Carolina two, coaches. But, 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 just, just go ahead
0: and minute. You're, you're, how you're many, on the Duke side of the
1: rivalry. That's uh, how, what you are how, now. How many would you have been happy with? Like, did you want to see but five three attempts, more? That be is cool? crazy, no, though. No, it is. Are you, would you have wanted to see five more, and then you'd be happy? You want to see six more, seven don't, more? Don't
0: ever complain for Lamella Ball to get say foul calls ever I'd again.
1: say somewhere around your averages. Okay, so, As then we, so then why do we play this game if you just want to give him the allotment of free throws every no, single no, time? No, 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 not
2: that. I'm just saying that I guess he felt that way because I saw a lot of calls that he did challenge and I'm sure that he was getting frustrated with the amount of calls that weren't being made. Okay, to make that the storyline after this, it can't
1: be the storyline that Pete Nance goes one of ten. It can't be the storyline that it RJ is, but Davis can't five of the, sixteen
2: and five of fifteen. Yeah, but we know the charity stripe makes a huge difference. Oh, it's the most efficient it, play in basketball. And it does help guys get in rhythm if they see the ball go through the hoop at the line. Like that can change the game in a lot what, of ways. You, yes, I'm not. I'm not arguing the fact yeah, that I'm, shooting I'm, free I'm, pros, hey, I'm just.
1: I'm just contributing. I'm letting y'all two go at it. No. 100%. I, I'm not arguing the fact that going to the free throw line could change the game. I'm arguing the fact that he made that the storyline when the bottom line is that you lost. And I don't know how many you would have been okay with. If you want to get close to the average, then fine. But if you're talking, all right, if we would have gotten maybe four more calls, then I'd have been cool about it. Man, it's just lame to me. That's just lame to me. We'll get to more of it. I'm sure Finney will be yelling at me. He'll. Tell you, it's funny, Like it's an insult. You're a Duke fan now. Yeah. It's not even that.
0: Like, you're messaging from Friday to Monday. Monday is just completely contradicting itself because mm-hmm. it's not for your favorite team now.
2: F- Fitty, it, I mean, it's just what?
0: freaking trash,
2: man. <laughs> That's a couple of he's bites at so the end mad. of the week right here, man. Look how bad he is. That's that passion. I mean, it's,
0: it's just borderline pathetic is <laughs> what it is.
1: He's, he's he like under his breath. It's freaking trash, man. We'll hear more from Fiddy coming up after the break. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long
0: live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Vidi is all the way hot. He is all the way bothered. We went into a very dark place with that rant where he actually went to the way he truly feels, behind the mic. Saying, oh man, it's trash, man. You're so trash. (laughs) Got <laughs> a lot of people texting in the garage door guru text line 704-570-9610. Joe Gibbs Jr. He's on your side, and you said he hates you. He actually does hate you. Joe Gibbs Jr. does. Oh yeah, he's one of my many enemies. All right, well he said he said uh, that you are getting into my A Z Z. That's how we spelled it. He said get into that fitty Willie P style. Give that Dookie the I business. Want to the fix was in on Saturday. Uh, a couple of people did say that you were pouting, though. 704 number said you're pouting. Wolfpack James wrote in about the free throw discrepancy the last three games. But feel free to share your thoughts about the North Carolina Duke game, 704. Five seven zero ninety six ten. We will get to all about it a little bit later on in the show. We do have some Panthers news to talk about over the weekend, though. And it's the fact that they have a new defensive coordinator. It's not anybody that got promoted to this job. Actually, it's just a Averro taking this job, leaving the Denver Broncos. Same position as first year as defensive coordinator over there with Denver. He was very successful. The final numbers for their defense in 2022, including a number seven ranking in total defense. And you look at some of the advanced stats, not block percentage or TPA that Fitty likes to make fun of, but they finished 10th in defensive DVOA, 7th in defensive EPA, 7th in just good old traditional yards allowed per game at 320, 7th in opponents points per game. I can give you a whole bunch of other stats, but really all they're going to do is illustrate just how good of a job a Ev Avero did with Denver and how talented that defense was. Pretty good hire, really coveted out there on the national landscape, Wes, and I'm glad that he's here in Carolina.
2: Yeah, it was. You saw a lot of people giving the Panthers kudos whether you're talking about uh, Dan Orlovsky, who was really excited about this hire, and I saw many other uh, national pundits who were quite excited about this. They said he was the leading candidate to become the Minnesota Vikings' defensive coordinator. Um, and then You know, he turned down a chance to coach with Sean Payton as well back in Denver. So I think this was a great get for the Panthers. It's going to be interesting because there are a lot of layers to this because we know that the Panthers interviewed him for a head coaching position. We know that he's highly regarded as a defensive coordinator, as one of the up-and-coming guys in this league. And if he has an excellent year with the Panthers, he may not be here very long. Don't want to... You don't dampen the parade already, but there are a lot of layers to this. But I think it does say a lot uh, about the job that Frank Reich is doing so far as far as hiring a staff and just the fact that a guy like Everett, who's so hot and so widely regarded, I think it says a lot about what he thinks of what the Panthers have in the cupboard on defense and uh, what they can do. Well, and, and
1: you're talking about the amount of layers to it. Well, Let's dive into it a little bit because Frank Reich being the hire – I think part of the reason he was the hire, David Tepper, along with that, said that he would do everything he could to make sure that a competent, not even competent, but outstanding staff would be in place alongside of Frank Reich. And you do have... I mean, if if you were to talk about... Hot names at the defensive coordinator position. It probably went Vic Fangio number one, but then you are taking a Fangio disciple somewhat with Ajero Averro, and then you're bringing him in. So outside of Fangio, this is probably the next best name you could get with Fangio already taking a different job. Does this prove that Frank Reich was the right hire, or how many layers did you want to kind of dissect as to why it's tricky to kind of answer that?
2: I think it's starting to ease some concerns with some of the staff that he's got available with him. Um, You know, they said the Panthers came through with a bold bid in the 11th hour to get him. So that shows that the Panthers are very serious about what they want to do. Not that we did it before, but it seems like they're serious about making the right choices and are making them. But I think if he continues to put together a really good staff, uh, because Deuce Staley is going to join the staff, and then there's been talks, but nothing finalized yet as far as Jim Bob Cooter um, joining the staff as well. But if he's <laughs> able to get that... <laughs> well, I mean, you can't help it. We're going to have to move on. At some point, we'll get used to it. But but yeah, yeah. So if he's able to do that, then this you know, has the makings of a, a really good staff. So then next comes after you get the staff, you have to get the requisite players to be able to do so. And uh, I saw things talking about the players that could thrive in Everett's system, and it's a lot of the usual suspects that you would think because they talked about how he runs a lot of odd fronts, which for those who don't know, like a 34 defense, and then he has a lot of other multiple looks and stuff to throw a lot at defenses that could allow him to be creative with some of the pieces uh, that the Panthers have. So, Which I would imagine Brian Burns would then turn into a 3-4 outside linebacker. right? And so uh, that would be interesting as well.
1: Well, and and talk to me about this from an offensive line perspective. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of what kind of problems are you dealing with when you're discussing a 34 defensive scheme rather than the opposite, which is what they were running? Is there anything different for you as an offensive tackle? Yeah,
2: I fronts. I feel like it gets that name for a reason. I mean, obviously it's called I because <laughs> it's only three men. But yeah, it is a little bit different when you talk about how you block because you know you don't have those that three techniques sitting right in there. You just got that big old nose who, when you have a three, four, you got to have a big old nose. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not the one you breathe out of. Well, Derek Brown can do that, right? Like, I think he's not, he's not, See, I could see him being no more of a five-technique defensive end in a 34 because he's pretty athletic. Yeah. Like, I would think you would want to go get you a big monster in there. To yeah, be I
1: o- guess star. that's right. I just feel like he's versatile enough to kind of hold it down in a few different spots. Yeah. A- and maybe the pass rush is something you want to see come from him. Yeah. But I feel like versatility is there enough to
2: where he's not going to get schemed out. He could – yeah, he could go back and forth, but I think – you know, he could have a chance to thrive more as that five technique in the 34 front. But he they could put him at nose. But to me, he's a three technique because he's athletic.
1: Well, now my my next question is, as we go with Brian Burns, does this scheme allow him to eat at a level he hasn't before? I mean, if you're just talking about speed rushers, maybe I'm wrong on this. and You can correct me on this if I if I am. But when you're talking about odd front. And then you have Brian Burns as the speed guy, the the linebacker that is rushing and all intents and purposes still is the pass rusher. Does that allow them to eat a little bit more, maybe standing up a little bit? Like, what do you expect from Brian Burns in this specific scheme?
2: Well, he was a defensive end at Florida State, so he's used to having a, a hand in the dirt. And then he's been at his pro career. I would say, that, you know, we've seen a lot of three-front linebackers thrive because you think about the old Pittsburgh Steelers defenses with Kevin Green and Greg Lloyd and all those guys, and you can do a lot of funky stuff with blitzes, but a lot of it comes down to those five techniques and are they able to hold it down? Because really, the the defensive linemen in a three-four are space eaters. They just are there to really just take up space and let the linebackers, you know, in my estimation it's a defense that is catered to linebackers, And so, yeah, I would think that Burns would be able to do it. He'll be able to attack offensive linemen more from a stand-up position. But it also means that he's going to have to be in coverage a little bit more, too. So that would be an interesting part of his game. Well, we hated that. I mean, when
1: when Phil Snow was here, and then he would drop Brian Burns in coverage, it got better, but then it got fixed pretty much without Holcomb and Steve Wilkes running outside Yeah,
2: and so because you can't really – you can't put him at a five – in that because he's going to take you know you're going to see two blockers a lot as that five technique on most plays especially on run plays and you know that can weigh you down because we know he's not a heavy guy so uh him being out there he will be exposed in coverage a little bit more so we'll see if he gets better there but i think his numbers just as far as what he puts up Evero to me just with his reputation, I think he's going to be able to motivate those guys and put them in positions where you may see a increase in his numbers.
1: Um, feel free to text us, as I've mentioned before, on the Garage Door Guru text line. Uh-huh. You can text us at 704-570-9610 980 number rode in. What about moving Chin down inside the box? I mean, Jeremy Chin, that's interesting too, just talking about his role. I, I think, as far as wild cards go, that was going to be the biggest wild card anyway. But now with with Averro here, I think talking about Jeremy Chin, with him having so much more success, being a part of a front eight, something front seven even, right? Like when you're discussing that part of his game, he has struggled in coverage. So do you just limit coverage snaps more, especially with Averro Liking to put a lot of defensive backs on the field, and Jer- and Jeremy Chin, I think, can really help you out with a lot of different angles there because you're not sacrificing strength. If we're talking about him, maybe even being a better linebacker, typical role guy, anyway, but he still qualifies as a defensive back. I think that does allow you some versatility, and with Carolina at least attempting to make the defensive back room the strongest point of this team, right? Trading for C.J. Henderson. You traded for Stephon Gilmore, and then he went to Indianapolis, but you gave Dante Jackson some money. You know, you, it, the defensive backs have clearly been what they've tried to make the strength. I don't know if Averro can fix C.J. I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but we do know that Scott Fitter at least has put a priority on some of those defensive backs.
2: Yeah, and the thing with Chen is that It's so hard in today's NFL to play a guy uh, down in the box a whole lot. I mean, I know. At that size, you mean? At that size as well. Like I said, because if you want to put him down the linebacker, then slap 15 more pounds on him. And even still, I mean, he's listed at 220. You put him at 235. That's still pretty smallish. Right. Well, linebacker. But you would hope that maybe he could have a Thomas Davis type transition. but. You know, I don't know if they've seen that. They put Thomas Davis at linebacker immediately and he was instantly a stud. So, I don't know that you put Chen down there and you get the same results, but um so that's the that's the interesting part about Chen's game. I think he's probably going to have to stay as as strong safety or at the safety position and then, you know, just hope that that he gets better with coverage because we know that's the area that he struggles at, but it's hard in today's NFL with the teams that throw as much as they do just to kind of let him roam the box a lot.
1: Well, and they did run multiple looks under Phil Snow, but yeah. if you look at Agero Averro's defensive scheme, as and maybe his philosophy more so than just that odd man front, he did say this, quote, you've got to affect the quarterback. If you can't get there with four, got to bring five. If you can't get there with five, then you got to bring six. Right. I do think that somewhat aligns with Steve Wilkes, who is blitz heavy so if you're not maybe you're getting there with four and then it's fantastic right like that's that's the king get there with four your defensive lineman get home drop that many more people in coverage yeah. and then that's that's how a defense is unstoppable mm-hmm. if your defensive line can rush the passer like that but if you don't then it seems like a Vero, Values getting there no matter What it takes over dropping guys in Coverage and trying to beat the quarterback that way
2: Yeah so I mean it's just going to be Great to have a guy like that in the building That is a mad scientist of sorts he does have a lot to work with, and we know this offseason that the Panthers are going to tweak it, whether it be by draft picks. They'll get a guy in the draft or two that may come in and contribute and um, you know, bring in some free agents here or there. There'll probably be some guys that will travel with him from Denver uh, to the Panthers as well that can help guys transition over to his defense and what he wants and what he likes. So it's a big hire. It's got a lot of potential, and so now you know he's got to get in there and work his magic. Um one thing I wanted to talk about too with this coaching staff
1: or maybe a couple It does give me the feeling that this is going to be as highly anticipated staff as we've seen Mm -hmm. in in quite some time, where we had so many question marks with Matt Rule and that staff Mm -hmm. bringing in Joe Brady. That was highly anticipated, whether you agreed with it or not. You anticipated what the hell we were about to see from this young, wonderkin type guy Mm -hmm. who did a great job with LSU's offense. Was it all the players? Was it some of the passing game coordination that he put together? What was it? anticipating there, but Phil snow didn't really have a ton of the hype. Ben McAdoo comes in it, hardly a flash higher, bringing him in as the offensive coordinator. You just needed some type of stability from somebody who had called plays in the NFL before Ajero Averro Avero having the success he did with Denver. That's pretty highly anticipated. And not only the name with Jim Bob Cooter, but we've seen success from him before. Yeah. As of right now, there's only an interview request in place he has not been officially hired. So you still have that offensive coordinator position open under Frank Reich. How highly anticipated does this feel to you? Like, do you feel really good about the coaching staff that is coming together compared to other years? Or do you feel somewhat similarly?
2: No, I think this has been a highly anticipated coaching search and the coaches that he's adding. It seems like every time he adds a coach, it's big news. There's big reaction to it from all over the place. I think with the Panthers, uh, As we've talked about, the rule hire was a mistake in a lot of ways. And I think that, as I've been saying, that this is, in my opinion, the most pivotal offseason for the Panthers. We know how many seasons in a row that they've missed the playoffs. And I think that this is their chance to be able to uh, really give you a blueprint for what the next, I would say, at least four to five seasons in this franchise is going to look like. And I think that's why it's been such a... Uh, under a microscope so I think every single hire has been big and then now that you go out and get a guy like this this continues to build anticipation because we know the reputation as I said that Everell has now you're looking towards the offensive coordinator position and so a lot of people are really waiting to see what that's going to look like because we've seen pundits as well not only saying what a good hire Everell was but saying that you know The Panthers are serious. The Panthers are looking like a team that's going to take over the NFC South with this staff. I saw things like that as well. So when you read those type of quotes from people, that only gets the fan base even more stirred up and more excited about the hires being made.
1: I will say this, too, as there's been a lot of criticism hurled David Tepper's way for a lot of different reasons, a lot of it justified. And we can get into some of that. And we already have quite a bit. This is the good part about having David Tepper as your owner. This is absolutely an advantage with the Jero Avero being highly pursued among a lot of other NFL teams. Hell, it was reported that Minnesota, that was the favorite to land him. I have not seen any contract numbers. Mm-hmm. Anytime you look up the contract for Avero, it's really just that he was let out of that contract with Denver as Sean Payton takes over. But, with a guy that highly pursued, I have to imagine David Tepper gave him the bag. Oh, gave definitely. him all the money in the world and and this is what I want to point out about David Tepper with all the criticism and i've I've shown it quite a bit over the last few years that he has been the owner of the Panthers. But this is the advantage this is the nice thing about him being in front of everything because he's willing to pay top dollar for top-notch assistants. And so he can get into some some of those bidding wars with some of these other teams because he has all the money, but he's also willing to spend a lot of the money as to how it pertains to your coaching staff. Like, if you're willing to pay all of that money for a head coach and your defensive coordinator, that is a good thing, and that is something that, with all of the weird feelings you might get from David Tepper, this is is an advantage to having him at the helm.
2: Yeah, and uh, they did say... When I read it, a bold bid at the 11th hour was how not it was surprised. Bid. So, bold right? bid equals big bag. Mm-hmm. The double B's right there. What about that Skrilla? Yeah. You're getting a lot. Skrilla. 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 Okay. <laughs> now, so kudos go? to them on that. Now, Evro's got to come in and, and get it done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see if he can with, uh, I would say, what has become the stronger part of this Carolina Panthers team, but still some question marks on that side of the ball. And we'll see how it all plays out as this offseason goes. Time now for the first fitty Flash of the day what you got for us fitty
0: well on friday guys we broke the news that professional powder kyrie irving w- uh, had requested a trade from the nets and yesterday the nets did trade kyrie irving to the dallas mavericks which prompted celebrity powder lebron james to fire off a tweet saying quote maybe it's me <laughs> even with the nets owner making it a point to not send kyrie to the lakers Were you surprised that he's not going to don the
1: purple and gold? A little bit, but I brought up Dallas when we were talking about this as a first and foremost team that I thought of. It was the Lakers' number one, and then the second team that I thought of was Dallas because the Mavericks have a lot of pressure. I mean... Talk about fumbling the Skrilla or the bag. What they did with Jalen Brunson, not extending him when they had the chance, despite having multiple opportunities, it's just bad business. And that is the task at hand when you have a generational talent on your roster in Luka Doncic. You got to win and you got to do everything you can to keep him in place. The only thing that is going to help that is by winning basketball games, and so you get the talent in Kyrie, even though he is a complete uncertain superstar, or all-star however you view view him, excuse me, that guy's very good at basketball, but we have no clue what he's going to do at any moment in time. Dallas felt the pressure enough to go out and get him, despite it costing Dorian Finney-Smith somebody they really value.
2: Yeah, I was not surprised that he did not go to the Lakers. I just felt like the Lakers are deep in their stance that they are not going to trade away those picks especially for a player that is as moody as Kyrie Irving and with LeBron his uncertainty if if he's going to be there uh going beyond this season so I don't blame them at all, and I'm not surprised at all that this happened the way that it did. Uh, him going to the Mavericks, it's just going to be interesting to see because, to me, I, I don't really feel like it's going to move the needle a ton with those two playing together. Who's going to share the ball? Who's going to get the ball in the clutch? And, like I said, Kyrie's attitude just really dampens everything because you just never know what you're going to get with this
1: guy. I, I do like the basketball fit. They're going to be really hard to guard, but we'll see because there's not a lot of other yeah, talent. Still no on defense one. In one. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how Maybe it goes. Maybe
0: they need P.J. Washington.
1: They would. Their block percentage would go up. That joke will never (laughs) die. Every single segment, we will keep that alive. We'll continue to keep it alive even when we visit the campus corner. Coming up next, Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.
2: McDonald's is not new to chicken. The Wes and Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wes Bryant here with Walker Mail. Josh Fitty Marlowe, getting right into the thick of things. The campus corner. Listen, this weekend we had so much going on, so much basketball in the ACC landscape. We've already been talking about Carolina and Duke, but let's get to a couple of other teams uh, in the league this weekend. NC State. Gets another dub against Georgia Tech at home. D.J. Burns, another huge game, D.J. Burns Jr. And when you look at NC State, the thing about this game that was funny was Quavion Smith and Jarkeel Joyner combined for just 10 points in the game. Their fewest combined output this season. And if you would have gone into this game and said that those two are only gonna have 10 points between them, you would say they're probably going to get upset. But no, Big D.J. came through. 24 points, 8 boards for him, and he's been excellent pretty much. When you go back uh, to around mid-December, tons of games, 15-plus points. He had the big 31-point outing versus uh, my Demon Deacons where he willed them to a victory in that game. So, Walker, do you think that if uh, Mr. Burns can continue this, is he playing his way into the ACC Player of the Year conversation? I mean, it,
1: it, if you're going to say conversation, yes. I mean, what DJ Burns is doing is remarkable. 24 points for him in this last game against Georgia Tech. They're 4-0 in their last four games. It includes a monster victory on the road against Wake Forest where he scored 31 points. And you're right, since mid-December, he's been awesome. The, the thing that I don't, I don't think he's going to get it over – and Armando Baycott. I don't think that would happen, but Armando had not been having the dominating type performances here as of late. He was going crazy with some of the rebounds. 16, 16, 18. That was a three-game stretch against Louisville, Boston College and NC State where he was hitting 14, 20, 23. But the numbers are still good, right? Like Even if it's not dominant Baycott, the numbers are still excellent um, as as far as what you can expect on a night-in, night-out basis. And if you compare that to DJ, Armando's just been doing it longer as well. So give me Baycott still ahead of DJ. There are still some other players that you could put in there in the ACC Player of the Year conversation. But comparing those two post-strong dudes down low, I'm still going to give the edge to Armando Baycott.
2: Yeah, he's had 16 games with 10 points or more, but the rebounding numbers I think is kind of where it hurts him a little bit. He's only had one double-digit rebounding game all season. And like you said, when you compare him to an Armando Baykai, I mean, the rebounding numbers just aren't going to be close. Well, and you have also a dominant stretch from Armando that we
1: talked about earlier, right, where you do have that game against Ohio State, goes for 28. You do have the next game against Michigan, just whooping up on the Big Ten, where he scores 26 points, too. And so, like, we've seen this even a little bit earlier, on. So primacy and recency, uh, recency bias is helping out with Armando compared to DJ, too.
2: Then we look at the Clemson Tiger. They took a loss at home, first one of the season to the Miami Hurricanes. And so now they've lost two straight. North Carolina's on the horizon. Is there any reason to be panicking yet for the Clemson Tigers?
1: I don't know about panicking, but you certainly don't feel as, as good as you used to with Clemson being 10-3 and 3 overall in the conference and losing a couple of games in a row. So now you look at their conference record, it's still 10-3, and 3, right? Like, that's why I wouldn't panic. They still have built themselves quite a nice cushion. But North Carolina, NC State, Virginia, like... You know, North Carolina being three games behind, you again that's where the cushion can come into place. Pittsburgh and Virginia being right there, just a half game back, NC State and Miami, you certainly have a sense of urgency, but panicking is probably too strong of a word for me to use here.
2: Yeah, I don't think they should panic just yet. I think there's ebbs and flows in a season. I think Clemson has taken a couple L's, but they're still uh very strong with TJ Hall. Brevin Galloway came back after he missed two games, so that's gonna help them. He had fifteen points. Uh, you know, Hunter Tyson had his 12th double-double in their last game. So he's doing his thing, 11th in the nation and double-double, second in the ACC. I just think Clemson, like I said, has hit a little bit of a rough patch, but they'll be fine. The Carolina game is going to be a big one, though, for both teams uh, when they do face off with each other. And then uh, do we have any thoughts on Virginia Tech defeating Virginia? And we know this is a rivalry game and anything can happen uh, in these games. Virginia never led in the contest. They won a seven-game win streak. They're now 5-3 and uh, in true road games. The Hokies shot over 50% from the floor, but they've just been owning uh, Virginia at home. I mean, they've defeated them three straight times in Blacksburg now. So do we make of this that Virginia... This is just a bad loss of Virginia. Are we talking this up to it being a rivalry game? How do we feel about that?
1: Yeah, to say it's it's bad is is strong to me. But yeah, I mean Virginia Tech, they're kind of doing what they did last year. They're not going on this crazy impressive run, but they have won three of their last four games. That win against Virginia, it was huge as far as their NCAA tournament chances go because the odds are VT is not going to go on the same exact run that they did last year when you get to the ACC tournament and end up winning the conference tournament, right? You're probably going to want to feel a little bit better heading into that tourney play, but the good news for Virginia Tech is their schedule is pretty good coming up for them, right? Mm -hmm. Boston College, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. So you have a chance to run the table in those next three games. And then you have Miami and Duke. Duke on the road. We know how hard it's been to beat the Blue Devils at home. And so if they're able to maybe get that win against Duke on the road, avenge the loss that they had to Miami, the only loss that they've had in the last four games, then, yeah, maybe we are talking about a very similar run to what they had last year in Blacksburg.
2: And Virginia Tech, Walker, you'd love to know it. They went to the free throw line 17 times. Well, I don't know if Tony Bennett complained about that or what. No, probably not.
1: That's what North Carolina should have done. Remember yeah. Davis, you know, they should have got their allotment at the free throw line.
2: Yeah, so it was a great weekend <laughs> at ACC basketball. There are some huge games coming up, a lot of questions still uh, to be answered. This season, I I don't think Virginia should really panic uh, about this loss or or feel away. Like I said, they were on a seven-game winning streak. They were going into a building. They've had trouble with the last uh, couple of times they've gone in there. It is a rivalry game, so we know in those type of environments anything is liable to happen. So uh, Virginia Tech is a team that, you know, hopefully this will be the start of them starting to get things uh, back on track for them as well because they've been so up and down this season and been mostly down as of late in ACC play. So I don't think the Cavaliers need to worry. They're still one of the best defenses in the country. I can't believe how much they count shot clock violations. I think they're the only team in the country that I see that really keeps track of that. Well, that that
1: backcourt is very good defensively. What we've seen from Virginia, we know this is exactly the type of philosophy that Tony Bennett instills within his program. And so what you're seeing from Virginia, look, there's st- still 17-4. and four. It, it's, it was going to be a tough game. I think most people expected this to be a tough game for Virginia. But it's interesting to see some of the teams we thought of as the class of the ACC. North Carolina, Wake Forest, I mean, my game tomorrow. For both of those teams as it revolves around the NCAA tournament you know, how good do you feel about Duke even after that win yeah. against the Tar Heels and Virginia coming off a loss as well. Everything, maybe the momentum halting a little bit when you're talking about some of the class programs of the ACC.
2: Yeah, no doubt, but when we come back, get your Reese Cups out okay? whether you freeze them or not, that's a good topic if you freeze Reese's Cups but listen, we've got Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. After his trip to the Reese. Senior Bowl. We'll have that next for you. Walker and West on What's Radio 927 WFNZ.